0: We're in the midst of a series we're calling "Reu," and we have another Reu story for you this morning. I've asked Mark Odisher if he'd come and share briefly his story.
1: My name is Mark Odisher, and uh, I became a, a child of God in 2008. And uh, this is a short outline of my journey. I grew up Catholic as a child. I went to church on Sundays, tried to obey the Catholic rules. But once I got to high school, I started drinking, doing recreational drugs with my friends. And after high school, I got married I had two two children. But I continued to do alcohol and drugs. And I stopped going to church because it just was a waste of my time. But When I was 38 years old, my brother, who was 36, died of a heart attack. I found him. Um, I decided at that time that there was no God. Well, shortly after my brother's death, I was arrested for possession. I lost my job as a store director of a grocery store. And I went through a divorce because of adultery. I found myself living back home alone. And it was there that I began to wonder about my life. Why am I here and is there really a God? Well, I had received a book uh, from a guy that a lot of you probably knew, Coach Floyd Eby. Uh, he, he wrote this book called Champions Forever and, it, and he gave it to me when I was in high school. Um, I read the book in the past but I didn't read the last two chapters because it was about Christianity and about the Bible. So this time I read the book, and I read the last two chapters, and I realized that Coach was right. The Bible is true. So on New Year's, I made a resolution to myself that I was going to start reading the Bible, and I did, and things started to happen to me. I moved to a cottage on a small lake. Uh, There were birds that I'd never seen before in my life. I'd seen uh, animals uh, across the lake, deer coming into the lake and wading into the water. Uh, I'd seen things at night and in the morning the moon shining on the water and just things in creation that were incredible to me. But I continued to read the Bible and I came to the reality that God had to take over my life. So I asked him to forgive me and take control. Well. Shortly after that, I quit smoking and quit drinking, which I was drinking about 12 beers a day. Um, and now was the time for God to, s- to set me up with my wife and best friend, Sharon, whom I married after a year of dating. And when we first started dating, she asked me to come to church. I, I did, and I felt a, f- a sense of family here. She also asked me to come to a small group study and, of course, I said yes, because I couldn't get enough of God's Word, and I wanted to understand it better. And I brought many questions to these small groups. I really wanted to serve Christ, so I got involved with church activities, like uh, the small groups and nursery, ushering, youth group, and many others. And I also spent a lot of time during my work day talking about Jesus, which I'm a barber, so I come in touch with many people. And lastly, God God has taught me to love and that I I have a purpose. I'm so grateful to Christ for what he's done for me, and I want others to know about him and the love that he has for them. And that's my story. Thank you, Jesus.
0: talking over this series about this process that we see in a person's life of insight and then decision and then implementation. I don't know if you heard it as Mark talked but he t- said he started wondering what was life about. He started asking questions which was prelude to insight. And then he read the book that that Floyd gave him and and there was the insight, the Bible is true so he made a decision. He's going to start reading the Bible. And from that decision came more insights and more uh, decisions and implementation of those decisions. So we see that process in his reuse story as we see it over and over again. Insight leads to to decision, leads to implementation. We're thinking about the decision part today. And there's a paradox there. The more you surrender to God, the freer your decisions are. The more you surrender, the more you become free. Philosophers and theologians talk about free will, but for many people, the words free will are an oxymoron. They are a contradiction in terms. Their will is anything but free. It's constrained. It's even imprisoned. Their decisions are predetermined, but not by God. By their own character. But Jesus makes us free. The person who is God's slave is freer than the person who is the world's tyrant. And he or she makes decisions out of a freedom that tyrant will never know. I've heard uh, people talk about finding God's will as if doing so would relieve them of the responsibility of making decisions. They seem to think that if they're in God's will, he's going to make their decisions for them. They won't have to. That's just about the opposite of the truth. As we journey deeper into God's will, our decisions become more and more our own and less and less our hormones. That is, instead of our fears or lusts controlling our decisions, we do. The person who has been transformed in great degree into Christ's likeness will have far more autonomy in making decisions than the person who is extorted and constrained by his habits and by his fears. That's why Augustine said, love God and do what you will. Decision-making does not become automatic just because we become spiritually mature. Listening to God and receiving guidance from him is not a replacement for making decisions. God does not want us to be puppy dogs on a leash, but full-grown children with whom he can share his life. It's true, however, that it does get easier to make some decisions. See, decisions are made out of who you are at the moment you make them. And the more you are like Jesus, the easier some of those decisions become. See, one person may struggle terribly with telling the truth. You know, who knows why? Maybe he was parented in some kind of shame-based or fear-based home in which he had to tell lies to avoid shame and fear. Now, whenever he's afraid his wife will be angry or his boss will be upset, he gives in to the temptation to make up stuff. See, decisions can never be free when the person making them is not. As a person becomes more like the fearless Jesus, the decision to tell the truth will get easier to make. As a person gets more like Jesus, the decision of whether or not to look at pornography will get easier to make. So will the decision of whether or not to gossip or to forgive or to spend money. Some decisions really do get easier. Yet there will still be decisions to make that are anything but easy. And we're going to see that graphically portrayed next week but the one thing to understand today is that your decisions come out of who you are we like to think our decisions come from somewhere out there instead of from in here that our decisions are forced on us by our circumstances because that allows us to maintain the illusion that we're not really responsible for our own decisions that's not true your decision all of your decisions come out of the person you have become either in collaboration with God, or in opposition to him. Your decisions function like an x-ray machine or an MRI. They reveal your condition on the inside. What that means is this. If you want to make better decisions about everything, from what food to eat to how to use your money, whether to marry or remain single, from what TV shows to watch to whether or not you should take a job out of state, If you want to make better decisions, you need to become a better person. That is, you need to be formed the Jesus way on the inside. As Emerson put it, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. Every day we make decisions that express what lies within us. And on some days, we may even make decisions that are going to direct the course of our lives. That being true, there's no time to waste. We must intentionally be involved in the process of spiritual formation. Or put another way, we must thoughtfully and actively pursue discipleship to Jesus. Only he can teach us and help us become like him. Our text today is about people who actively pursued discipleship to Jesus. They were presented with a decision that had the potential to change their lives forever, just like the rich man that we looked at last week. But whereas he copped out, they made the tough decision and moved forward. And it was a tough decision. It entailed leaving the security of home and family. That's a momentous decision for anyone to make. But remember, knowing Jesus does not relieve us of the responsibility of making big decisions. Let's read about it. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 20. Mark 1, verse 14. After John was put in prison, that is John the Baptist, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, he said, and I'll make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he'd gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and followed him. I've lived here in this community and with this church for 26 years, but it still happens that I'll be with a couple of people, and one of them will say something to the other like this. You remember that time when we went salmon fishing on Lake Michigan? And surprised, I'll ask, you mean you guys knew each other before you started coming to church? And they'll laugh at me and say, we ought to know each other, we're cousins, or something like that. You guys are all intermarried. It's a weird place. (laughs) But sometimes I forget that there is a prehistory for people here, a history that predates my arrival. There's something like that in this text. This is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that we meet Simon, Andrew, James, and John. But they have a prehistory with each other and with Jesus. We come to this passage, and it seems like Jesus' invitation to them and the decision they make on that, based on that invitation come right out of the blue, but that's not the case. Like all of our decisions, this one has a backstory. Before we get into that, uh, let me just emphasize this point again. Our decisions do not come out of the blue. They come out of us. For good or bad, and it can be either, our decisions come out of who we are. The four men mentioned here would all later be selected as apostles, but before they were apostles they were all commercial fishermen. Commercial fishing is not a hobby. It's work. It's hard, dirty, smelly work. When Jesus offered these men the chance to become fishers of men, they knew he wasn't inviting them to take up a new hobby. He was calling them to a new vocation, and a strenuous one. Now, in first century Israel, fishing provided a better and more secure income than most agricultural laborers enjoyed. Most people in first century Israel were agricultural laborers fishermen enjoyed a better income than they did walking away from that must have seemed crazy these men were born to fishing they were raised on the lake it's what they knew it was who they were making the decision to leave it must have been very scary so how did they do it the rich ruler that we looked at last week he couldn't bring himself to make this decision how did they Well, as we've already seen, decisions come out of who we are and who these men were had already been impacted by Jesus. This is not the first time they encountered him. I think they first met Jesus through Andrew. He's one of the four, and perhaps John. Andrew and perhaps John. Andrew was a disciple of John the Baptist before he was a disciple of Jesus. One day, he heard the Baptist praise Jesus And so he went to find out more. And he and his companion, probably John, met Jesus. They spent the day with him, and then they walked away convinced that he was God's messenger and God's Messiah. That day changed their lives. Now, there's an important principle here. Andrew was doing what he knew to do according to the insight he had at the time. He was actually doing what he thought he was supposed to do. He was learning everything he could from John the Baptist. Through John, he was pointed to Jesus. From meeting Jesus, he went on to become Jesus' student, then his apostle, finally his martyr. The principle is this. Act on the light you have, and more will be forthcoming. Do the thing you know to do at this moment, and you'll learn the thing to do in the next moment. Now, that sounds simple enough, but it's right here that most people stumble. See, That's not what we want. We want God to lay out the plan before we give our consent. We want to approve God's will for our life as a slate all at once. That's not the way it works. He only gives us enough truth to act on today. It's the manna principle. Get what you can, but make sure you use what you've got. Until you do, you'll not be given more. That's God's way. If we refuse to do it God's way, if we say, "Ah, that's not worth my time, that's not a big thing, I'm not doing that, I'll wait till something more important comes along, we're never going to get anywhere. Act on the insight you have, not the one you're waiting for, you're going to wait a long time. Grace is given as grace is expended, and not before. All spiritual progress depends on doing the thing God gives us to do Right now. So these guys, Andrew is the clearest example. These guys had been acting on the insight they had. And see, that prepared them for new insights, which would make the decision to follow Jesus when he called them possible. After learning about Jesus from his brother, Simon Peter had his own experience of the manna principle. After a long night, and you can read about this in Luke chapter 5, after a long night of unsuccessful fishing, commercial fishermen on Galilee fished at night. They worked at night. Jesus asked Peter to take him out in his boat. And while they were out, Jesus told him to put down the nets, the nets that he and his brother and his partners had already cleaned and mended and folded for the next night's fishing. At first, Peter objected. He didn't want to do it. For one thing, he knew it was a total waste of time. You don't fish at this time of day on Galilee. And for another, he didn't want to undo all the work they'd already done preparing for the next shift. But eventually he did what Jesus told him to do. That little thing opened the door to an important insight into Jesus' character and into his own. And that prepared him to make this decision when it came along. So do what you know to do today, however small. Has God told you to talk to someone? Do it. To give money to someone in need? Don't wait. Do it. To volunteer in some ministry for Awana or sign up for Family Promise? Sign up today. Whatever the thing is, no matter how big or how small, it's the door through which you must go to reach the next thing that God has for you. If you had an insight into something that would please God, decide on how to act on it. Such decisions are doorways into God's future for you. And more importantly, into the future you. Now there's something else here. These guys were able to make this decision because they didn't look solely at what they would lose, but also at what they would gain. In making a decision, it's important to see both things. Jesus taught us to count the cost. But since it's our nature to protect what we have, to conserve and to keep, we have a hard time seeing past what we'll lose. If we only see what we're losing, it's going to be awfully difficult to make the decisions that we need to make to follow Jesus. To accept Jesus' invitation meant that these guys would have to leave their families. Peter was married. James and John were part of a family business. To follow Jesus would mean leaving a secure income. It would mean giving up normalcy and giving up control. They knew that. They understood, though they understood imperfectly, what following Jesus would cost them. Peter later summarized it this way. We have left everything to follow you. Everything included homes, brothers, sisters, parents, spouses, property, jobs. These men realized what they would lose by following Jesus, but they also realized again, imperfectly, what they would gain. Peter and Andrew, James, and John knew that they were gaining instruction from the wisest man they'd ever met. They were gaining a place, a role, a position in the kingdom of God. They were joining up to serve God in their world, to make a difference and to please him. So let me ask again the question I asked before. Why did the rich man say no and these guys say yes? The rich guy said no because he couldn't get past what he was going to lose. They said yes because they went on to see what they would gain. He made a decision based on fear. They made a decision based on hope. In making a decision, it's important to weigh what you'll lose over against what you'll gain. But understand, that takes us right back to what we saw earlier. Decisions come out of who we are on the inside at the time. Today, who I am on the inside weighs losses and gains very differently than I did 30 years ago. And because of that, I make different decisions now than I did then. Hopefully better ones. If my decisions come out of who I am on the inside, the most important thing I can do in terms of decision making is to become a better person on the inside. The great danger in religion is that we'll gussy up the outside what others see, while leaving the inside what we really are a mess. I cannot routinely make good decisions when my mind is full of For example, fearful or bitter thoughts. When I'm being intentionally hypocritical. When I'm addicted to destructive behaviors. I can't make good decisions routinely when I'm always angry on the inside or when love is absent there. Can't do it. Making better decisions depends on becoming better people. Now, if that sounds like it's going to take some time, you're right. and maybe you don't want to wait look if you don't want to wait you could try going online and googling how to make a decision you'll get twenty two million results i looked last night you could be a better person by the time you read all those and there are five tips for daily decision-making how to make decisions in twenty one steps with pictures by the way that's not bad if you look through all 22 million results, you might even find the perfect process for making decisions. The trouble is, decisions aren't made by a process, but a person, by you. You'll have God's help right now in becoming a person who is free and true, and who makes decisions out of a character that is becoming more and more Christlike. But you'll need to connect to God to do it. In fact, that is the great frustration, I think, for for people in positions of spiritual leadership. They see people trying to get right without connecting to God. You have to connect to Him. Consider making a prayerful commitment to God to become a better person on the inside that is a person more like Jesus. Say, God, I desire, I intend, and I commit to becoming like Jesus. But you got to connect. you got to do this with him. Once you've made that commitment, ask him to show you the first step. Now, that first step might be any one of a million things. For you, it probably would be different than it would be for me. It might be giving up the use of manipulative speech. You know, Jesus spoke against that, and he would never do it. Maybe God will talk to you about that. It might be joining a group at church like Mark did. It might be forgiving a parent or a spouse or someone else in your life. It might be to stop exaggerating. It might be to love your neighbor by trimming her hedges or inviting her over for coffee. I don't know what your first step is, but I know who does. And he will share that first step with you if you're willing to do it. If you're not, He won't. But he'll not only share that first step with you, as helpful as that is, he'll share himself with you. And that makes all the difference. So do the next thing. And watch a door open. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we're not willing to do the next thing, would you, by your grace, make us willing to be willing? For some of us, Lord, the process just seems too long and daunting. So I pray that you'll give us fresh hope. Clear vision. And Lord, even for those who have so little hope that it just feels hopeless, I pray that you'll enable them to take that first step of obedience to you. And let that lead to them not just taking a step, but running, making great progress. Lord, we need you, and we know because of Jesus we can have you. So come and do what you desire in our lives for his sake. Amen.